0: Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling Podcast. For countless parents, the journey to unschooling has redefined childhood and transformed their family relationships. Are you curious? Together, let's explore what living and learning looks like without school. Hello, Explorers. I'm Pamela Ricchia, and this is episode number 234 of the podcast. It's the 14th of July, 2020, as I record this intro. And this week, I'm sharing part three of the audiobook edition of my book, The Unschooling Journey, A Field Guide. Inspired by Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey framework, The Unschooling Journey is a weave of myths, contemporary stories, and tales from my journey. It's not a how-to book. No two paths through the world of unschooling have the same twists and turns. Yet, having a general sense of where you are on your journey can bring valuable insight as you navigate the challenges that will inevitably appear. I share this book as a field guide to the stages and characters you are likely to encounter in some form on your unschooling journey. And one thing I love about looking at our lives through this lens is how intimately it connects us to the human journey, which can help us feel less alone. Recognizing that yes, other people really do go through these stages and struggles and they come out the other side. We will too, even if we don't yet know how our particular path may unfold. It's fascinating how universally human the journey is and how through the journey we find our connection to humanity. But that's getting a bit ahead of ourselves. (laughs) So last week we dove into stages three, four, and five. Here's a brief recap to remind us where we are. So as we enter stage three, finding our guides, we've chosen to accept the call and embarked on our unschooling adventure. And as with many tales, when we begin our journey in earnest, a guide appears. Mythologically speaking, guides tend to be elderly. Think Dumbledore and Obi-Wan Kenobi. But in a fun unschooling twist, I discovered the most important guides on my unschooling journey were my children. I came to see that, for me, fear often began to take root in my thoughts when I had become disconnected from my child. I would get stuck in my head, leading to more disconnection and more misunderstanding, which then fertilized my growing worry, and a downward spiral ensued. Eventually, I'd remember to look at my kids again my guides. I'd see them playing with such determination. As we engaged more, I'd see their joy and enthusiasm. I'd notice the new things they'd learned since I got pulled into my head and away from them. They brought me back to what I already knew, unschooling rocks. In stage four, crossing the threshold to unschooling, we find ourselves matching wits with the threshold guardians. I noticed I felt challenged in three different areas, which so interestingly aligns with the three heads of Cerberus, the three-headed dog of Greek mythology, who stood guard at the entrance to the underworld. So head number one tests our resolve to leave the ordinary world. Often it's family or friends questioning our choice not to send our kids to school. Uh, Head number two tests our worthiness to enter the new world. As we engage with more experienced unschoolers online or in person, chances are we are going to feel challenged by new ideas. We can feel like we're being rejected by the new community that we so excitedly want to join. And head number three is a bit more recognizable, and that's securing permission to homeschool. It can be tempting to approach these gatekeepers adversarially, but they serve a useful purpose to ensure we understand the applicable education laws and policies and the legal implications of our choice to homeschool. And in stage five, embracing beginner's mind, it's all about transitioning to a learning mindset. As we begin this stage, for all our excitement about entering this new world, we're also still fearful of letting go of the old one. We want the two worlds to mesh. So we seek out compromises. We sign our kids up for classes, just not in school subjects. We encourage our kids to engage in skills that schools prize, say writing, but in non-schooly ways. Like, why don't you write in your journal today, hun? <laughs> what we need is to find the courage to lift up that second foot and leave the ordinary world behind once and for all. This is our metaphorical point of no return. It's the last stage of the departure phase of our journey, and it symbolizes this transition, describes the hero's figurative death in the ordinary world and their rebirth in the new one. And now we find ourselves embarking on the next phase of our journey, de-schooling. So this week, we're diving into stages six and seven and exploring our beliefs about learning and parenting. Remember to bring the fresh eyes and childlike curiosity of beginner's mind with you, and for listeners who prefer interview style episodes, this week I've selected episode ninety six Ordinary Unschooling with Anna Brown and Pat Robinson, which was first released in November of 2017. Anna and Pat have both always unschooled their children, and we talk about the idea of quote "unschooling success stories." the impact of the conventional independence agenda, which starts very young in our culture, the incredible value of ordinary unschooling days, and lots more. I think it's so valuable to consider what extraordinary goals we might be contemplating for our children and why. There is so much kindness, grace, and contentment to be found in the ordinary. You'll find the link to the episode in the show notes, or just search your favorite podcast app for episode 96. As a personal update, life in summer is flowing well. I just went in for my bi-weekly COVID test. I work part-time in a small retirement home here in Ontario, Canada, and that's part of our public health ongoing management approach. And much of Ontario is entering stage three of our phased restart this week. My dad's back at work, and while neither Michael's film nor gym work has reopened, he's been meeting up with small groups of stunt and tricking people here and there. And everyone continues to physically distance. The weather's been sunny and hot, and we've been enjoying the opportunity to hang outdoors. And I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support the podcast through Patreon. And a big welcome to new patron, Kathy Landmorell. Hi, Kathy! Thanks so much for your support. It means so much to me. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Your generous support not only lets me know that you enjoy the show and want it to continue, it allows me to spend time creating episodes every week and to keep the podcast archive freely available to anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And now let's dive into part three of my book, The Unschooling Journey of Field Guide. De-schooling. Stage six, challenging our beliefs about learning. Nurturing the joy of learning. We are in the world of unschooling now. With a clear choice to embrace unschooling and our departure from the ordinary world complete, we find ourselves, in Campbell's parlance, in the initiation phase of our journey. In the unschooling world, this intense phase of our inner journey is often better known as deschooling. Which means that over the next seven stages, we are going to do an incredible amount of questioning, soul-searching, observing, thinking, learning, and growing. On the hero's journey, the first stage of initiation is known as the road of trials, a series of tests and challenges that the hero faces as they begin this personal transformation in earnest. And we are in good company! Dorothy's trials in the Wizard of Oz were laid out for her along the yellow brick road. Through her quest to return home, she and her allies, the Scarecrow, the Lion, and the Tin Man, discovered that what they were seeking was inside them the whole time. Frodo Baggins, along with his trusty ally Samwise Gamgee, overcame a multitude of both physical and spiritual challenges on the road to Mordor in his quest to destroy the One Ring. Hercules was given 12 labors to accomplish on his road to atonement. On our unschooling journey, you too will undergo a personal transformation through the challenges to many of your existing beliefs. So many, in fact, that I've broken the road of trials into two stages, one around learning and the other around parenting. These are the areas in which you will face your most daunting tests. The order in which you tackle them isn't particularly important. You will probably want to focus first on whichever one called you to undertake this unschooling quest in the first place. Discontent in either the area of learning or parenting. From there, one leads to the other. Who knew learning and parenting were so inextricably linked? Yet that's what you'll discover in these next two stages of your journey. So let's get started. Since I began my de-schooling phase by exploring learning, we're going to start there. I'm going to share five unschooling truths about learning that may, at this point on your journey, seem a bit outlandish. Just begin wherever you are with the openness of beginner's mind and start asking yourself questions. Twist and turn each of these ideas around in your mind to see them from different angles. For example... How does the idea of unschooling fit with your experience with learning inside the school system? Did you enjoy school? What classes did you like? Did you do well on tests? Were they an accurate reflection of your knowledge and understanding? How much do you remember from your various classes now? And after each answer, ask yourself why or why not to dig deeper. What about your experience with learning outside school? your hobbies, jobs, personal projects. How have you learned new things since leaving school? Do you remember what you learned on your own more easily? How were the school experiences of your partner, family, and friends? What's different between the people you know who enjoyed school and those who didn't? What impact has that had on their lives? How does it fit with the learning you're seeing with your children? How did they learn in their early years to walk and talk and eat? and at school, if they've been. I suspect you'll move through some of these ideas relatively easily, while others will present more of a challenge, and you'll need some time and determination to find your way through. Either way, as you explore these principal truths about learning and contemplate the questions that come up for you, your understanding of the fundamentals of unschooling will grow. Truth number one. Teaching is not a prerequisite for learning. With unschooling, we make a clear distinction between learning and teaching. Real learning happens in the learner. That is, learning that is understood and remembered versus memorized and soon forgotten. I imagine you remember times at school when your teacher stood at the front of the class teaching earnestly and you didn't understand or weren't paying attention. No learning happened. And on the flip side, I bet you can recall learning things when you were all by yourself, just figuring things out. For learning to happen, teaching needn't be anywhere in sight. That said, as unschooling parents, we're happy to help our kids to share our knowledge and experience anytime. When a child or adult is pursuing something they are interested in, they are posing questions and exploring possible answers. What they discover through this experimentation often inspires new questions with possibilities being tweaked and tried anew. That is the cycle of exploration and feedback, better known as learning. When things are interesting and challenging enough to keep us engaged and moving forward, but not so far over our heads as to completely stump us, we often find ourselves in our optimal learning zone, in the flow. Truth number two. Curriculum is unnecessary. With unschooling, we see the world as bigger and more diverse than a school's curriculum. But sometimes, fears about leaving curriculum behind can bubble up. It feels like we're giving up the comfort and reassurance of having someone else tell us which of the many, many things in our big world are valuable for our children to know. Taking on that responsibility feels huge. Then, we take a deep breath. We remind ourselves that the unique set of knowledge and skills that will be valuable to an individual child will be different, maybe a bit, maybe wildly so, from the school's generalized curriculum. And then a refreshing realization hits us. What our child chooses to learn by following their curiosity and interests creates an individualized, quote, curriculum That fits them like a glove. When I visualize learning, I see curriculum-based learning as linear, one grade to the next, each subject a separate line, insulated and unconnected. Life-based learning, unschooling learning, looks more like a web. Connections are made from one piece of information to another to another, following a child's unique path of curiosity, regardless of the subject or their age. For example, an interest in baseball can lead to math as they analyze the batting and fielding statistics, geography as they investigate the home countries of their favorite players, history and culture as they learn about the ways the game has changed over the years, reading as they devour websites and player biographies, health as they challenge themselves to sprint the bases as quickly as possible, physics as they try to consistently hit home runs, teamwork as they try to work seamlessly together on the field, Fair play as they navigate the ups and downs of winning and losing and so many other places because subjects in the real world are connected. With unschooling, the process of learning looks the same for children and adults. It's how humans learn. Choice replaces coercion, leaving everyone free to learn with the topic, style, pace, and depth under the control of the learner. As people begin to release their hold on curriculum, the next question that often comes up is, but aren't there certain things that a child has to learn? A base set of knowledge and skills that everyone needs to get along in our society? Sure, but unschooling children will learn those things precisely because they are living in the world every day. If it's something that's truly necessary to get along in their world, they'll come across a need to know it. Instead of seeing childhood as time spent being taught what they might need later, we see it as time spent living in the real world every day. When our children come across the need to know something, they learn it. Not only that, learning is much more alive and engaging when a child is out and about in the world. It has so much more meaning to them because it bubbles up in real moments of their lives. The possibilities for learning when you're engaged in the world every day are more plentiful and more visceral than a classroom can ever mimic. When we drop the assumption that learning only happens in a classroom, we begin to look for, and find, learning everywhere. And, tying it back to how this individualized curriculum fits unschooling children like a glove, It's reasonable to anticipate that the work and hobbies they'll choose to pursue as adults will be connected to their interests, so their unique set of knowledge and skills will be much more applicable to their future than a generalized curriculum. For example, Michael's interest in karate began when he was nine and continued to grow over the years into acrobatics, then into performance martial arts, and now, as an adult, he's a stunt performer. Truth number three, children are always learning. Quote, your job is to go to school and learn. Did you hear that growing up? Maybe you've even said it to your kids. I probably said some version of that to mine when they were in school. It's a common analogy to make. But what it does is define learning as something that happens at school, full stop. So by definition, what you do outside of school isn't learning. With unschooling, we back up and realize that learning doesn't just happen in a classroom, with a teacher, during school hours. It can happen anytime, in any place, with anyone, or all alone. Not only that, unschooling is a learning lifestyle that never stops. There is no graduation from learning. There is no moment in time in which learning is done. Lifelong learning, learning as children and adults, lives at the heart of unschooling. While we understand that the school system has a fixed time frame of compulsory school years within which they must move students through their set of curricula and be finished, we know that the timeline is arbitrary. There is no reason why a person can't learn about pioneer times or volcanoes at age 7, 12, or 20. When there's a need or interest, they learn it. Their age is irrelevant. If they dive into volcanoes when they're 20, that's great. There is no behind with unschooling. They weren't twiddling their thumbs when school kids were learning about volcanoes. They were learning something else in their world. Outside of school, a timetable for learning is irrelevant. We are always learning. We're learning with everything we do. It's time to expand our definition of learning to include all learning. When we're talking about timetables and learning, one skill that often trips people up is reading. Conventional wisdom says that learning to read as early as possible is essential for children. Reading is a key skill in school because the entire teaching process is designed around it. Textbooks, worksheets, tests, and so forth. So not only are later readers shamed by being placed in remedial reading groups, their learning in all subjects suffers. But when a child isn't in school, the necessity for reading so early falls away. Outside the classroom, there are many other ways to learn while they put together the reading puzzle. Hands-on exploration, online videos, podcasts, audiobooks, documentaries, and movies, not to mention a parent or sibling reading for them when the need arises. I saw this in action with my youngest. He was only at school for half a year of junior kindergarten, so not yet reading or pressured to read in school. As a consequence, he learned to read in his own time. And until he did learn to read, I got to see so many different ways of learning, sharing, and communicating in action. There was no hindrance to his learning at all. It also helps that with unschooling, the goal isn't learning to read. It's pursuing their interests and passions. This gives them the space and time to explore the complex puzzle of reading without undue pressure or judgment as they chase the goals of their own choosing, like diving into a favorite world. With my daughter, the last pieces of the reading puzzle fell into place as she passionately explored the world of Harry Potter. There's texting with family and friends, playing video games on their own, and so forth. The possibilities are almost endless, and the paths to reading can be as unique as the individuals themselves. Outside of school, there is no need to learn to read within anyone else's time frame. Truth number four, learning is fun. How does your child like to learn? Schools promote and value the learning style that meshes with their process, a classroom with one teacher and many students. That's why reading and writing are highly valued. With unschooling, a child is free to follow their curiosity in whatever way fits them and their circumstances in that moment. Maybe they're watching a video about volcanoes for a while, then they want to make their own models, So out comes the cardboard and paint or the clay and the baking soda and vinegar. Later that week at the library, they look for books about volcanoes to bring home. Maybe you point out some of the locations of active volcanoes on a world map or a globe. Maybe you check out more pictures online, or more videos. Real learning is so much more interactive and fluid than a classroom can accommodate. And again, the goal isn't the learning itself. When unschooling children are responding to their curiosity, following their interests and passions, and pursuing their goals, learning happens almost incidentally. But it's learning that makes sense and is remembered. It's real learning. And when they're doing that in the ways they enjoy, learning is fun. Even when it gets challenging because it's helping them accomplish the real things they want to do. Learning doesn't become something to avoid. Truth number five, learning is not hard. Parents want their kids to think learning is fun with the hope that they'll want to learn. But when they go to school, what did the kids discover? That learning is hard. It's work. And in those circumstances, from their perspective, it's true. Trying to learn something you're not interested in is hard. If the topic or information is unrelated to their lives, it often doesn't make sense. It doesn't expand their understanding of the world. In that case, they have to resort to memorization It's just a piece of information floating around in their head, easy to forget after the test because they have no occasion to recall it. And with most of their time taken up with school, there's little left to pursue the things they do find interesting. As a result, their curiosity and drive to explore the world may fade. They just wait to be told what to do next. Older students and graduates often say they aren't creative. Sir Ken Robinson gave a great TED Talk about how schools kill creativity, explaining that young kids will take chances, be creative and original because they aren't afraid of being wrong, but that by the time they get to be adults, most kids have lost that capacity. Quote, and we're now running national education systems where mistakes are the worst thing you can make. And the result is that we are educating people out of their creative capacities, end quote. Brene Brown explains that, quote, out of the many people that we've interviewed, 85% of them can remember something that happened in school that was so shaming, it changed how they thought of themselves as learners. Of that 85%, 50% of those scars were specifically around art, writing, drawing, creativity, music, end quote. It's no wonder that once students graduate, many are loath to be proactive. They prefer to wait to be told what to do in both work and personal situations for fear of making mistakes. But if you want to nurture your child's curiosity, cultivate their creativity and out-of-the-box thinking, and preserve their love of learning, unschooling is a great way to do that. Changing habits takes time. What I discovered in this stage of the unschooling journey is that so much of the conventional wisdom around learning is intricately woven together with the needs of school. As you slowly but surely tease those threads apart, you can start to see what learning truly looks like for children and adults alike. And while you're exploring your beliefs about learning, don't forget to watch your children. Unschooling kids are wonderful examples of learning in action. That's one of the reasons they make such great guides. Be present and engaged with them. Careful not to get caught up in your thoughts. You may also find that you have other questions related to learning beyond the ones I've touched on. Great! Dig in and see where they are coming from. What messages have you absorbed about that aspect of learning? Do they align with your experience? What do you think the motivation was behind the messages? Ask experienced unschooling parents for their thoughts. How do their answers mesh with your experience? As you explore this new world of unschooling and begin to uncover these truths, you are rewarded with new philosophical insights into learning. As a result, we often want to change some of our behavior patterns, our actions and reactions to better support our children. Sometimes it's relatively easy, but sometimes even when we know we want to act differently, Habit takes over and we can find ourselves playing out the same conventional scene over and over. Sean Coyne makes this astute observation in his book, The Story Grid. Quote, when human beings are faced with chaotic circumstances, our impulse is to stay safe by doing what we've always done before. To change our course of action seems far riskier than to keep on keeping on. End quote. Change can definitely be hard. It can seem risky. But rather than being hard on yourself, just keep at it. Try to mindfully pause between action and reaction. Find yourself a moment of choice where before there was only thoughtless habit. Without the pressure of a schedule, there is time. Things don't have to move so fast. And aim for small, realistic steps. Chaos and overwhelm is more likely when we try to make a bunch of changes in one leap. Try a little something and see what happens. If it works out pretty well, create yourself a reminder to try it again next time. Maybe tweak your behavior based on what you've learned. Eventually, after enough repetition, you'll have developed a new habit. It can't be said too often. We're always learning. Stage 7. Shifting from control to connection. Moving away from parents versus children. Now that we've explored the main conventional learning paradigms, in this stage we're going to explore some truths about parenting. Does the conventional parenting wisdom that we're surrounded by really make sense? To explore this question, we'll be digging into our assumptions and expectations to see how well they mesh with our experiences as well as observing how this new way of living, not going to school, is unfolding with our children, our guides. It's helpful to note that these ideas about parenting aren't exclusive to unschooling. You will see similar ideas discussed in attachment parenting circles, in consensual living groups, and even in traditionally published books about parenting, such as The Gardener and the Carpenter. What the New Science of Child Development tells us about the relationship between parents and children by Alison Gopnik, a professor of psychology and internationally recognized leader in the study of children's learning and development. Her book is an interesting comparison of parenting metaphors. The gardener parent cultivates a rich and nurturing environment while giving their children space to grow into the individual they are meant to be. No two flowers are exactly alike while the carpenter parent has a blueprint for the adult they want their child to become and diligently works over the years to ensure their child turns out according to plan. Gopnik argues that the carpenter approach, which has risen in prominence over the last few decades, becomes a toxic soup of expectations, anxiety, guilt, and frustration that has arguably made the lives of both children and parents worse. She concludes, quote, Part of the pathos, but also the moral depth of being a parent is that a good parent creates an adult who can make his own choices, even disastrous choices. A secure, stable childhood allows children to explore, to try entirely new ways of living and being, to take risks. And risks aren't risks unless they can come out badly. If there isn't some chance that our children will fail as adults, then we haven't succeeded as parents. But it's also true that being a good parent allows children to succeed in ways that we could never have predicted or imagined shaping. End quote. Similarly, the parenting truths that are so valuable for unschooling to thrive are those that see the child as an individual in their own right. Moving away from the control tactics, the Carpenter approach, in which the parent attempts to shape a, quote, perfect child, and toward the rich soil of connection, nourishes a trusting relationship between parent and child, between two human beings. Truth number one, parenting is not adults versus children. The presumption of parental power over children is so widespread in our culture that we often don't even think to question it. Well, now is the time. If you're feeling resistance to that idea, Remember a couple of stages ago when we talked about embracing the openness of beginner's mind? Take a few deep breaths. Power struggles between parents and children come about when parents insist and their children resist. It becomes a battle of wills, something beyond whatever the original issue was. When power is part of a relationship, everyone has to be on their guard, always, always protecting the power they have by resisting advances and overpowering others when possible to gain more power. It's a draining and stressful way to live. What if we drop the adults versus children approach to family relationships? What if we choose to help our children accomplish whatever they're trying to do, help them follow their curiosity, explore the world for themselves? When everyone is pulling toward the same goal, there's so much less struggle. Let's draw a parallel with our earlier rules versus principles discussion, where we explored how principles open up discussion and help our children learn more deeply about the world than just following rules. When we're talking about relationships, focusing on connection also opens up discussion and helps children learn more deeply about their inner world their goals and aspirations, their strengths and weaknesses, essentially how they tick, rather than being told what to do. Power struggles are not inevitable. They are a choice. Parents can choose not to engage in them. They can choose to treat their children like real people. Truth number two, children are capable of making choices. Conventionally, many parents make most of their children's decisions for them, believing they are modeling the right thing to do and expecting their children to make the same choices when they are finally in control of their lives. This is more of the carpentry approach, often done more vigorously in the teen years. Instead, rather than trying to teach your children the right choices to make, You can focus on helping them gain experience with making informed choices, meaning the choices that are right for them in that situation at that time. You can help them to brainstorm possibilities, discuss the pros and cons, and support them as they choose what seems to be the best fit for them. They will learn so much through the experience And they'll see how their choice plays out so they can incorporate what they learn the next time a similar situation arises. Their self-awareness grows alongside their skill in making choices. What we discover aligns with Gopnik's observations. When we aren't struggling with our children, but are actively nurturing a secure and supportive environment, children feel more comfortable exploring their world, trying new ways of living and being. This comes with some risk that things won't always work out, but that's the beauty of being free to make choices and learn from them. What we have discovered is that our children choose paths and succeed in ways we could never have foreseen. One of the tips that helped me a lot when I was de-schooling was when my child asked to do something, to ask myself, why not yes? So often we give a knee-jerk no as an answer. We're too tired, or it's too messy, or too dangerous, or too whatever. Is that really true? Or is it mostly an excuse? I found that when I stopped making excuses, I started living more fully with my children than I thought was possible. When I stopped trying to control most everything they did, our connection blossomed, and I saw how much sense their choices made. Children are incredibly capable. Truth number three, fair doesn't mean equal. To be fair means to be free from bias, to not show favor to one child over another. We want all our children to feel equally loved, which conventional parenting wisdom has extrapolated to treating our children equally. It makes sense on the surface, doesn't it? To be fair, everyone gets one piece of cake and you take care to make sure they're the same size. You spend the same amount on their birthday gifts throughout the year. They can each sign up for one recreational class or sport. The challenge is that this looks at the situation from the outside, quantitatively measuring the facts of the situation rather than taking into account the individuality, the unique needs, wants, and goals of those involved. When we look at situations from our children's perspectives, things can look very different. For example, imagine two of your children running up to you, both wanting you to come and play with them right now. Wanting to be fair and knowing you need to do something in an hour, you may be tempted to say, I can play with each of you for 30 minutes. We'll put on a timer to make sure you both get your time. What if, instead of imposing your fair and reasonable sounding solution, you chat with them and see what lies beneath their request? You may discover that your daughter wants to show you a 10-minute video she just found, and she wants to show it to you right away, while your son wants to play a board game, which usually takes 45 minutes to an hour. As you discover this, you ask your son if he's okay with starting the game in 10 minutes. He can go and get the board set up. He's good with that. 10 minutes with your daughter and the rest of the hour with your son, and both children feel heard, respected, and have their needs met they are equally happy. So often, what seems fair on the surface may end up not satisfying the needs of anybody involved. Fair is everyone feeling that their needs and wishes have been heard, considered, and accommodated wherever possible. As parents move to unschooling, they begin to see fairness not as a quantitative measure of what the parents give, but as a qualitative measure of the value each child receives. Again, as with learning, looking at things from their children's perspective. One child may need more of their parents' time, wanting a lot of personal interaction and attention. Another might have a passionate outside interest that needs more of the family's money to support it. Still another might need more of their parents' participation, actively engaging in their interests alongside them. We may be giving each of our children very different things that take varying amounts of time and effort and money, but when their unique needs are met, they each feel content, secure, and happy, equally loved. Truth number four, quitting is not a failure. Choosing to quit an activity is as much a learning experience as starting it. Conventional wisdom says that quitting is a kind of failure, that if children quit whenever they want, they will never finish something when the going gets tough. One of the wonderful things about unschooling is that our children have time to explore the world, including a wide variety of interests and activities. But if we continue to insist that they finish what they start, they won't be learning the perseverance that we're probably hoping to instill. Rather, they will likely be learning not to try out new activities unless they are very sure they will enjoy it. The fear of being stuck in something it turns out they don't like will outweigh their curiosity to explore something new. That means less exploration and learning. When we favor connection over control, our children gain lots of experience with wanting to try something choosing ways to try it out and seeing how well those paths meet their goals. They will discover things they enjoy and things they don't and get a better feel for the clues that help them decide when to step up their game and when to quit and move on. They gain priceless life experience. And each time they choose to quit, they're still learning so much. How does that choice feel? Do they miss the activity? If yes, what do they miss about it? What are they doing with the time that quitting freed up? Are they enjoying that more, less? So much learning. Children who have the freedom to explore a variety of things and discard those that don't catch their prolonged interests do not feel like failures when they choose to drop something. They feel empowered. They see it as another experience from which they learned a little bit about something and a lot about themselves. And our support of their decision is a visible display of our trust in them to know what they need and want in that moment. They also know they can change their mind in the future. Their choices are under their control. Starting and quitting things, whether personal or organized, is about exploring their world, finding the activities and environments that spark their curiosity and bring them joy. If they discover a passionate interest, they will doggedly pursue it, even through many challenging moments. As parents, we don't need to teach this kind of unwavering commitment by requiring it in everything they choose to try. Instead, we can help them find things that they enjoy so much that their fierce dedication flows naturally. Truth number five, strong relationships are key. Strong relationships are connected and trusting. I love what David Howe has to say about the value of relationships in our lives in his book, Attachment Across the Life Course, A Brief Introduction. Quote, Intimate attachments to other human beings are the hub around which a person's life revolves, not only when he is an infant or toddler or a child, but throughout his adolescence and his years of maturity as well, and on into old age. From these intimate attachments, a person draws his strength and enjoyment in life, and through what he contributes, gives strength and enjoyment to others. These are matters about which current science and traditional wisdom are one. End quote. He concludes that sensitively responsive parents who can see the world from their child's point of view, are likely to have securely attached children who, in turn, are most likely to develop emotional intelligence, good social skills, and robust mental health. Rather than being entrenched in the parent-child power dynamic, parents can be in relationship with their children. When they are younger, we are their sturdy set of hands as they communicate their needs through cries and gestures changing their diaper, feeding them, or bringing them a wanted toy. As they get older, we slowly also become their sounding board and trusted confidant. Unschooling parents have discovered that connected and trusting relationships with our children are fundamental to allow unschooling to thrive. It is important that both children and parents feel comfortable approaching each other with questions and sharing their thoughts and feelings without fear and knowing that they will be heard. This is a safe and trusting atmosphere in which learning, love, and connection thrive. Being able to see things from our child's point of view is crucial for helping them sort through situations and possibilities as they explore the world. Beyond putting ourselves in their shoes, what we think we would do if we were in their situation, because that's us looking at their situation from our perspective, with our experience. We put ourselves in their mind and body, seeing the situation through the lens of their experiences, needs, and goals. It's there that we can meet them where they are and connect intimately, and help them explore the possibilities for moving forward through the situation, the difference between sympathy and empathy, the strong, Connected, trusting, and respectful relationships that we develop with our children will last a lifetime, not just childhood. Don't rush. I want to encourage you to give yourself time to ponder these truths, to see what they look like through the lens of your lives. As we talked about earlier, if you try to race through this, you'll miss so much of the value of the journey. As Dorothy discovered in Oz, so often the answer we seek is right there within us. It only needs to be unearthed. That makes sense on our unschooling journey. It's not a quest that takes us to a literal new world. It's an inner journey of self-discovery. Some of the questions that crop up in our daily unschooling lives are almost expected, while others come out of left field. Sometimes we're thoroughly energized and other times we're so exhausted that we're brought to tears, wondering where we'll find the strength to take another step. When you're feeling overwhelmed, it's important to take a moment to clear the mental clutter and refocus. Breathe. Drink water. Sleep. Look to your children, your guides. How are they doing? That is our most important focus. If you've inadvertently pulled away a bit, this is a great reminder to turn our energy back to them to make sure they are doing well. You may even find yourself re-energizing through them. I know I did. They are a boundless source of energy and joy. Another de-schooling tip, take note of those moments with your children when you see them shining brilliantly in scribbled words before bed, or quick photos of the moment, or vivid memories etched into your brain. These snapshots will help to build trust in the process and can be a welcome ray of light during the more challenging trials. On your de-schooling road, you will discover things about yourself you didn't before imagine, the depth of your inner strength, the abundance of your love, and what you can learn by greeting your fears rather than running away from them. It can be exhilarating and energizing, yet racing down the road risks skimming the surface, shortchanging this transformative process. It needs to take place in the roots of your being, beyond what you are doing, into why you are choosing to do those things. So be careful not to rush your learning. You will see people further on the journey and wish you were there. You'll get there. Be patient with yourself. Yet, don't use that as an excuse to linger. Take it slowly, but surely. Keep questioning. Keep observing your children. Keep playing with your children. Play is important learning for parents, too. There will be uncomfortable times. If you've taken a turn and there's no clear path ahead, practice sitting with the discomfort for a while. New insights and ideas can bubble up. Answers may be unearthed but only if you're patient and open to them. That beginner's mindset. Maybe you'll find your path just behind the tree you're resting against. And remember, no matter how long you've been unschooling, as your children get older, you will encounter new situations that you haven't yet worked through, at least not beyond the conventional response. Even those of us who have been unschooling for years can find ourselves off kilter. We are always learning and growing. I hope you found this episode helpful on your unschooling journey and be sure to check out the wonderful archive of earlier podcast episodes. The conversations never go out of date and you can find more information about my books, my Patreon community, and the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit at my website, livingjoyfully.ca. Have a great day.